0: It's a joy to be with you today. The semester is nearing the end, and uh, it's a delight to be in the presence of the Lord together. I want to start today by reminding you of context in this particular passage. Uh, This is post resurrection, which is important. And uh, in light of that, um, Peter and the boys decide to go fishing. Uh, In fact, we see at the beginning of chapter 21, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And we know at least six others of them go. Two of them unnamed, which is interesting. Four of them named. And they, they join Jesus and they go fishing. Uh, and then they fish all night and they don't catch anything. This is a pattern. I don't know if you've noticed this in the scripture. Uh, they did this for a living, so this is a bit discouraging. But they haven't caught a thing. They've been fishing all night. And all of a sudden this voice from the shore shouts out, throw it on the other side. They catch 153 fish. Miracle catch. And uh, I want you to picture this scene for a moment. I see John kind of leaning in, like, I, "I wonder if that's the Lord." Interesting, huh? And Peter realizes it must be Jesus, and he puts his outer garment around him. He jumps in the lake and he swims to shore. Now, there's something to waiting, right? I mean, we've been we're in a season of waiting. Peter couldn't wait, could he? Something about the passion inside of Peter, he's got to jump into the lake and swim to shore. It can't have gotten him there that much quicker, and yet he dove in and he swam to shore. And when he got to shore, what did he find? He finds Jesus already cooking breakfast. Apparently Jesus has already been fishing. The the whole gang of them gets to shore. This big catch. Uh, In fact, the text notes that Uh, Another miracle here, the the nets didn't rip with 153 fish. And Jesus says, "Bring bring them on. And for me, this is one of the more intimate scenes in all of Scripture. We see Jesus cooking breakfast, and he is the host inviting his friends. His friends who's just deserted him. But he's inviting his friends into intimate fellowship together. They share a meal. And after breakfast, this is where this scene picks up that we just heard. And so, uh, pulls Peter aside. We don't know if the other disciples are kind of watching this or if Peter and Jesus kind of go off by themselves. But one way or the other, we've got this scene switch from the whole disciples to now Jesus and and Peter. And uh, we hear three different times, do you love me? Now, probably what's coming to your mind is what comes to a lot of folks' mind. We've got this iteration of three times. Peter's denied Christ three times. Jesus is now restoring Peter in a miraculous kind of way. And I want you for for the next few minutes to just imagine yourself as Peter in this scene. Not just hear these words like you've heard them before, this is a familiar passage, but to think in particular about what it would have been like to be Peter in this scene. What it would have been like, what it would have felt like and to imagine with me. And so we've got something interesting going on with the text. Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. Well then, feed my lambs. Ask him a second time, then tend my sheep. Ask him a third time, feed my sheep. And the text says that Peter is grieved that Jesus asked him this three times, this third time. And in English, this sounds like he's grieved because it happened three times. And that certainly could be part of it. It could be uh, in some ways that that third time was kind of a bell going off in him like three times, huh? But what's interesting in the text, and I'm not a Greek scholar. My assumption is we have some in the room. Those, those, uh, those kind of folks hang around this place some. But the, the text actually says, Jesus says, Do you love me with a divine kind of love, Peter. Do you love me with that agapeo kind of love? A godlike love. And Peter responds, Lord, you know that I love you like a friend, like a brother, in a human kind of way. It makes the text read a little different, doesn't it? (laughs) You know that I love you in a human kind of way. And it seems to be enough because then Jesus says, then feed my lambs. And he asks him a second time, Do you love me in a godlike kind of way? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you in a human kind of way. And interestingly, the third time, Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me in a human kind of way? Do you love me in this phileo kind of way, like a brother, like a friend? And Peter is grieved that Jesus asks the question a third time. And he says, you know everything, Lord, you know that I love you. In fact, in one sense, I'm thinking, Peter's thinking in the back of my mind, I just demonstrated this. I jumped into the lake and I swam to shore. You know that I love you. Somebody that doesn't have love is not going to do something like that. And yet Peter seems not to see that divine kind of love in him that he sees in Jesus. And yet Jesus still says to him, then feed my sheep. Jesus meets him right where he is, he's Emmanuel. He comes to us. This is the same spot, by the way, Jesus called Peter in the first place, right? At the shore, fishing. And he meets him there. Doesn't call him to some other place, meets him right where he is. And here we have again, post-resurrection, Jesus meeting Peter again in that same place. Something else interesting in this context is... ...that the way in which Jesus addresses Peter. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? All three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And uh, if, you, if you look through the Gospels, this is pretty interesting... ...because this is the first time since chapter 1... ...that Peter's been referred to as Simon, son of John. Verse 42, in fact, it's at this point in John 1, 42, ...that Jesus says, Simon, son of John, you will be Peter... Cephas, you're the rock. And he changes his identity, invites him into a whole new kind of life. And now we find Peter back on the shore again. He's taking his buddies fishing, probably not in a recreational kind of way. As far as I can tell, they didn't do recreational fishing in that day like we do today. It's occupational. Now, it could be they were hungry or bored, but more than likely, they're returning. ...to their old life. They're going back to something. Somehow feeling disqualified. And yet here Jesus is... ...restoring Peter... ...but interestingly by in, invited him by saying... ...Simon, son of John. And so... ...I want you to imagine for a moment... ...you're Peter again... ...and you haven't heard that in a long time... ...Simon, son of John. And what runs through your head? What runs... ...through your emotions... Uh, In in one sense, I hear uh, hear my mother giving me all three names, you know, Brian David Sims, you know, you you don't ever want all three names from your mother, right? (laughs) Like, it gets your attention, and Simon, son of John, I think would have gotten Peter's attention in a powerful kind of way, but even beyond that, I get this sense like Jesus is saying without having to say it, which one of these guys do you want to be? This is your choice. Which one of these people do you want to be? Do you want to embrace this identity that I've called you into, Peter? Or do you want to go back? My guess is, at certain points in your life, just like has been true in mine, we find ourselves back on the shore. Maybe it's not a shore for you. (laughs) Probably not. But back into that old pattern. Sensing this, I might not be qualified anymore. And Jesus says, Simon, son of John, not, why did you deny me? Why did you desert me? Do you feel sorry for what you did? But instead, in a relational kind of way, Simon, son of John, do you love me? There's where restoration happens. It's the kindness of our Lord that leads us to repentance, right? He's restoring Peter. But the invitation, he meets him where he is... You love me in a human kind of way, but I'm inviting you to love me in a divine kind of way. It's an invitation to perfect love. And I think probably like most of us, Peter's thinking, I don't know that I have that in me. What we know a chapter before is that Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And that that perfect love, even though Peter may not realize it yet, that perfect love is possible... It's a fruit of the Spirit. And it's now possible. And Jesus is inviting Peter into that kind of love. Now, he invites him as well to shepherd. Right? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And for me, and it could be that I'm a leadership professor, so I'm reading something into this. But for me, every time I hear shepherding lang- language in the Scripture, I think leadership. And I don't think it's just because I teach leadership stuff. Um, But for me, it's because the the language of shepherding is all throughout both Old and New Testament to reference leading. And so, interestingly, with Peter, we have a shift of metaphors here. Early on, it's, I'm going to teach you how to fish for people, right? So he's been doing that, and that metaphor makes a lot of sense for Peter. Now he's being invited to become a shepherd. And I'm wondering if if Peter's going, "I, I don't know how to be a shepherd, Or perhaps he's thinking, well, I didn't know how, but I've been watching you. And so I want you to hear a few iterations of this from the Old Testament and the New. Um, Moses is on the top of the mountain at the end of his life. Numbers chapter 27. And he says, Yahweh, please don't leave these people like sheep without a shepherd. This is the first iteration of this. It becomes like a neon sign blinking throughout the rest of Scripture as a theme, that leading in the way of God is shepherding. It's not leading in the way of the world. And, of course, we know that God has raised up Joshua. In fact, I I keep thinking Moses is either not paying attention or he just wants some confirmation or or something because uh, this is the longest internship in the history of humanity, right? (laughs) Joshua's been following Moses around for more than 40 years, lingering in the tent at times, And we know that God raised up Joshua to shepherd God's people well and move them into the promised land. But then if you look throughout the rest of the Old Testament, there's one one iteration of this after another. Samuel uses it, uh, but we get to the prophets. And this is where this becomes interesting for me, is that the prophets use this as an indictment on the Jewish leaders. You've left these people like sheep without a shepherd. In fact, some of the prophets actually even use the language of, you've become more like wolves You're supposed to be shepherding these people, and you're actually devouring them. And we get Jesus on the scene. Matthew chapter 9. He's been preaching and declaring the kingdom, going throughout the towns and villages, healing the sick and casting out demons. And he looks across the crowd in Matthew chapter 9, and his heart is broken because the people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so, for me, I mean, Peter's heard all of this, he knows all of this. This is not uh, merely, I want you to take care of a few things, but I'm inviting you to lead. But I'm inviting you to lead in a particular kind of way. You may not see yourself as qualified, but I do. So feed my sheep. And so... What is that particular kind of way? Well, Jesus himself is the good shepherd. John chapter 10, just a few chapters before, Jesus makes it clear that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Doesn't merely care for them, as important as that is, but actually sacrifices in a selfless, loving kind of way for the sake of others. This is what it looks like to lead in the kingdom. Peter's Watch Jesus demonstrate this and teach this. John chapter 10, not only lays down his life, but he protects the sheep, he cares for them. And they know him. This is what's so beautiful. This is such an intimate image once again. They know him. He knows them and they know him and they know his voice and they follow. And it seems Jesus is saying, Peter, I want you to be this kind of leader. It's an invitation to lead in the way of Jesus, a relational kind of leadership that is this based in selfless love and by very nature is empowering to those around them. I mean, even think about Jesus' own leadership. He had such a small impact geographically on the world in his own lifetime. Didn't he? Very focused and yet trusted by the spirit of god these misfit followers of his we're going to change the world and look at us we're still here we're still here some of us willing to wrap that garment around our waist and jump in the lake and swim to jesus can't contain that inside and so it's an invitation to lead like jesus but it's also an invitation to follow jesus says demonstrates the way in which peter's going to die and he says, follow me. And in, in uh, typical fashion, we didn't read this far in the passage, but Peter objects. What about, what about him, Lord? You can almost hear the whining in his voice, right? What about John? Is he going to have to die? And the sense of it is Jesus saying, I, I've got a plan for him. You worry about what I'm calling you to. And he says to him again, follow me. It's the exact same words at the shore three years previous. Peter, follow me. And now he's saying the exact same words again, follow me. But with a little bit different implication, Bonhoeffer's words come to mind. When when Jesus calls, it's a call to come and die. And Peter's been invited to come and die. Not merely in a figurative sense, but in a literal sense for him. But it's this invitation. Deny yourself, take up your cross every day and follow me. Are you willing? Are you willing to die? What's beautiful about it is that Jesus has already demonstrated his willingness. He's inviting Peter to once again precisely what he has already demonstrated. Uh, We don't need another savior. Jesus took care of that once for all. But he's invited Peter and he's inviting us to follow him in this kind of way. Are you willing to give everything? And that kind of giving everything does indeed require a deeper kind of love, more than just a human kind of love, but a selfless, life-giving kind of love. No greater love, right? No greater love has someone than to lay down their life for their friends. And this is what Jesus has demonstrated. Peter's been invited to this as well. This reminds me of a personal story for me. of getting an opportunity to do some mission work in India. And I had a real strong sense of call that I was supposed to be there. But no sense whatsoever that I would ever come home. Not in the sense of like I would, you know, stay there and and continue for a long period of time. Um, But a sense that this might be my time. It's interesting because a lot of us were raised with a theology that says, you know, if you're, if you're doing God's will, he's going to protect you. <laughs> the problem is that didn't work out very good for some of the disciples in the Bible, right? Sometimes what he's invited us to is, is a literal death. Sometimes it's a denying self and taking up the cross every day and following him. I think about his own cousin, John the Baptist. This is... Uh, I mean, Jesus could have intervened, but he didn't. And sometimes that happened. And so that was the sense for me. It's like, Lord, and all of a sudden, all these fears started coming to mind. I was like, Am I really willing to give my life for the gospel? I mean, it's, it's easy to say that from a place like this. It's easy to say that for me with a guitar on, inviting people to give your whole life in worship to God. Don't just sing a song. Give him Everything. Let this be an offering that we might be a living sacrifice. All that sounds really great, but when push comes to shove, am I more like Peter saying, well, what about him? (laughs) Jesus is saying, what about you? Do you love me? He's invited us into something deeper. And so as I conclude today, I want to paint a picture for you that everything that Jesus is inviting Peter to, Jesus has already lived. One of the things that's interesting about this passage is in terms of preaching a sermon, uh, it kind of feels like Jesus is making three different points, like he didn't take a, a preaching class, you know? It's supposed to be about one thing, and you're talking about loving, and you're talking about shepherding, and you're talking about following, and I'm, I'm confused, and yet, how do these things integrate? In Jesus' own life. Loving. Do you love me? And to think about. In fact, at some point I encourage you just go read through the Gospel of John looking at this kind of theme. But Jesus abides in the Father's love. He knows he is loved. And he returns that love but he also gives it away. And so the very context of the relationship itself between father and son is love. It's holy love. It's perfect love. It's this kind of love that Peter's being invited into. And that's where Jesus lives. Not part of the time, but all of the time. He's not only living that way in relationship with the father, he's also living that way in relationship with his disciples. They've not just heard him talk about it. They've actually experienced being loved that way with Jesus. Abide in my love in the same way that I abide in the Father's love. John 15. Not similarly, but in the same way. Abide in my love. This is what Jesus has demonstrated with them. It's the core of their relationship. Do you love me? And Jesus says, yes, I do, Father. And Peter's being invited into that. But leading. Shepherd. The good shepherd. Once again, Jesus... Lays down his life. He protects and cares for the sheep. They know him. He knows them. They know his voice. And they follow. It's this relational, selfless love. It's this environment of empowering others that the good shepherd demonstrates and Peter's being invited into. Those two are pretty obvious to us. And yet the following... This one is the one that strikes me the most because typically we see Jesus as a leader, as a savior. Certainly that is the case. And yet Jesus makes it clear about himself that he is first a follower. I went back this week and read through the Gospel of John again, but over and over and over, it starts in John chapter 5, Jesus says things like, I only do what I see. I only do what I see the Father doing. Later, a couple chapters, I only speak what I hear the Father speaking. Almost to communicate, in fact, obviously in other places, I do nothing on my own. What what if we saw ourselves that way? I have no capacities to lead others. I only do what I see. I only speak what I hear. That's the kind of follower Jesus was. Peter watched that. Peter saw it, he experienced it. And it was life-changing for him and now Jesus is saying, "Follow me in the same way that I follow the Father." <laughs> and so for me, it's the way these things get integrated. Because leading has to happen. If it's going to be Christ-like leading, it's got to happen in the context of love. Now, this is not what you're going to read in most textbooks about leadership but it's the the way of Jesus. Also, leading always starts with following. I only do what I see. I only speak what I hear. What if we lived that way? So Jesus restores Peter's identity in this passage. Invites him back into that new life. The old is not being made better. It is gone. The new has come. You're a new creation, Peter. I'm not reforming or improving your life. I'm transforming your life. The old is gone. The new has come. And so I wonder today, whether it's today or it's been another day, you find yourself back on the shore. This is one of these seasons, by the way, where we're supposed to be anticipating the coming of our incarnate Lord, and oftentimes we're running around like chickens with our heads cut off, right? And if you're like me, the struggle in all of that then is guilt, shame. I'm not being who I'm supposed to be. I'm not living the way I want to live. And Jesus question to us today is not what the heck are you doing or why are you failing me but instead Brian do you love me do you love me it's an invitation following Jesus is an invitation into perfect love and it's an invitation to abide in Jesus love in the same way that Jesus abides in the father's love it's also an invitation into leading in the way of Jesus, in selfless love. And this is how these things get integrated. Leading, following, loving. In one way, it's all the same thing. (laughs) And so, as we come to the table today, wherever you find yourself, the table of the Lord is a place where we get to meet Jesus. Just like that breakfast where the disciples met him that day. And Jesus is the one who comes near to us and meets us right where we are, Emmanuel, God with us. And so if what you need today is restoration, the table of Jesus is a table of restoration. If what you need is freedom, the table of Jesus is freedom. If what you need is reconciliation, then the table of Jesus is reconciliation. If what you need today is simply friendship, is rest, is knowing that you are loved, then this is the table of Jesus. So I want to invite you to bow your heads for a moment as we prepare for the table. And just put yourself into a posture.